This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Hello, good afternoon. Um, welcome to the all-star lineup of Real World Impact TV with Social Purpose, presented by ABC. Um, before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we meet, uh, the Bunurong and Woiwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation, and pay respect to the elders past, present, and emerging. Um, before I just introduce Stephen Oliver, um, just a reminder, you can ask questions through the app at any time. Um, and otherwise, there's some ro there'll be some roving mics, and you can put your hand up, um, I guess, when, when Stephen sort of indicates. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to Stephen Oliver, Manager Documentaries at ABC, and he's going to take it from there. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Hi, everyone. Good to see a good turnout. Thank you all for coming. This is a very, um, we've got loads to get through uh, today, so um, we're really excited about it. I'll quickly introduce the panel so everyone knows who they are. We've got Craig Rucastle, the host of War on Waste and Fight for Planet A, our climate challenge and big weather and how to survive it, which you will hear about. These are new shows coming up on the ABC this year. Uh, we've got Debbie Kuehl, who's the executive producer of Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds. We have Terry Calder, our executive producer of Impact at the ABC, and we have Karina Holden, who is the executive producer of Employable Me, Love on the Spectrum, and Big Weather, and How to Survive It. So we have a brilliant panel of packed full of knowledge and experience, and we're gonna crack straight into it. Now, you can send questions, as Kim said, they pop up on the iPad. It normally works, doesn't always work, so if you've got a um, question, try and use that first, and we'll get to it as and, as and when. So, let's get into it. So, um, TV with purpose, what exactly is that? I'm going to just throw this straight away to you, Karina. What, how would you describe what TV with purpose actually is? Well, I think that when we're making programs, we want to make something that's entertaining, obviously, but if you're going to go through this whole process of nine months, 12 months, 14 months of making a series, you might as well bring a whole lot of uh, intelligence along with it along the way. And, and to stir the audience, not just to entertain them from that moment in time, but hopefully that they're walking away with a, a, a shift in the way that they understand or perceive the world or that the people that they empathise with and that it's a, actually a growth um, of their experience. They're not just wasting their time, they're actually doing something productive with it. Absolutely right. And uh, Craig, over there, how do you, I mean, I know you work really hard on this. You've done um, War on Waste with Loon Media, and now you have Fight for Planet A, our climate challenge with Loon Media 2. You have always worked very hard on your tone and making sure that when you're kind of trying to do this kind of purposeful documentary making that you're not preachy and you're not being too much of a do-gooder. How, do how do you manage that? How to manage it, what, because I'm such a dick, you'd think I'd be such a preacher anyway, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, no. Look, ironically, I've been trying to, you know, do TV with pur purpose even since the Chaser days. It's, it's only that only recently I've been successful at it, is the difference there. Uh, but in terms of that tone thing, I think it was it was something that uh, Jody Bull in the EP, kind of director of the series, and I and Sandra, who was also on the first series, were constantly just back and forth between. It was one of the things we all agreed on really early is we just couldn't be really judgmental because I think if you're really judgmental, people switch off. You know, the, the nature of human psychology, particularly when dealing with being challenged about what you're doing, <coughs> is it's very easy for you to be, if you get too challenged too early, your natural response is to, to go, I, I disagree with you, I'm gonna go the other way. So trying to keep people on board and take them through things and not be too judgmental was just was a crucial part of it. And it was, it was not just me, it was the whole team were kind of part of what was going, oh, were we pitching this the wrong way, are we saying it the wrong way? And I think it's, it's generally, it's interesting doing environmental stuff because I think it's in the broader environmental space, I think it's something that often turns people off is a, is a judgment, feeling like you're being judged or feeling like you can never do well enough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Deb, you've done work for commercial channels and the ABC. Do you feel it's something that's easier 
on the ABC than elsewhere? Uh, absolutely, yes. It's just that the ABC has, I guess, a much more, um, well, part of their charter is to, you know, provide programs for all Australians, uh, not just ones that are going to be huge um, ratings winners. Um, in saying that, though, this was a huge ratings winner, which brings me back to your first question about why it's important to do, well, I think why it's important to do shows that, that have impact and can create change. If you look at Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, I think it rated, I don't know, about a million consolidated each week. The geriatricians that we work with on the show said to me they can do studies and do scientific papers and, you know, 400 people might read those over a course of five years. The impact something like this can do on changing the way we think, on changing the way people perceive old people in society is so powerful and we have so much power in our hands when we make these shows. Why not use that power to do something that can make a big change and improve people's lives? Absolutely, and you mentioned that the, the ratings for Old People's Home were huge. It really connected with the audiences and resonated. Do you, um, do you feel that at Endemol Shine Australia, where you are, that there will be more of this kind of content that they haven't traditionally been known for? Absolutely. Endemol Shine are very keen to show, you know, that they can make all different sorts of genres. They really see the importance of these types of shows uh, and making shows for the ABC and SBS and getting a good message out there. It's not just about the big juggernauts, the reality shows. You know, my job there is to, is to work on getting more of these shows up, working closely with Endemol Shine to do that. Uh, and, you know, we've done One Born Every Minute since Old People's Home and Ambulance Series 3. I was just involved in that. So, absolutely, there's, there's an alternative alternative um, for the audience there. You can't just give the audience the same thing. Even though those big reality sh shows will get the bigger numbers, uh, that if, you, if that's all you give the audience, the numbers are going to turn off because they've got nothing else to watch as an alternative. Yeah. Uh, and Terry, you have been involved, you were involved in Old People's Home. We'll come back to it in a bit more detail soon. But um, impact at the ABC has become a really important part of some of our key programs and you've had some real success with that, haven't you? Tell us a bit about that. Uh, yes. Well, we've, I've, I came on board for War on Waste Series 2 and then which had a massive impact uh, as did the first series and also with Don't Stop the Music. So I guess the impact of the ABC is really about um, engaging audiences beyond the broadcast to, to act and that generally involves partnering with um, a coalition or key organisations that have been working on the ground for decades already on that issue in, in the context of that broader social movement um, to engage people to, to act. And we certainly did that with Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds um, as well. Would you want me to talk about that now? No, no, we'll get, we'll get to that. But, and we've got some um, a great clip of um, some of the impact videos that um, that you've been doing at the ABC. Karina, let's just talk a bit about Employable Me. That's our first clip. We've got five or six really great clips for everybody as well that we're going to see. So um, let's just hear a little bit about Employable Me from you because that was two series of Employable Me uh, and it really did um, have an impact, didn't it? It really connected with that sector. Well, the audience loved it and I think that the sector did as well. Um, the very first season was made in concert with Family and Community Services of New South Wales, the second with the Department of Industry, because from a government point of view, they saw a real need to engage with this sector. Um, and in fact, it was only two weeks ago that the NDIS has now um, dedicated uh, 67 million towards uh, jobs specifically uh, for people who are neurodiverse, uh, targeting a whole lot of uh, work around um, microfinancing and setting up employment schemes and uh, mentorships. So we've seen the growth in this sector, which is amazing because when we started, there was a awareness around disability um, and the uh, importance of trying to help people find their employment. But when we uh, started making Employable Me, we were looking at neurodiverse conditions and how they were obviously invisible disabilities. Um, and that story and awareness has since grown. And we have some amazing changes in society, I think, as a result. I totally agree. I mean, that, that was a format that was uh, in the UK. But I will say, and I'm completely biased, but I think you took that format and improved it. I think I think our version was better than the, than the British version. Well, that was because of 
K.N. O'Cleary. K.N. O'Cleary, who directed both that and Love on the Spectrum, yeah. which we will get to. Let's have a clip of Employable Me. For anyone who didn't see it, there's a, there's a wonderful clip that we will see, and then you could just speak to that, which I think really highlights exactly um, what, we, what you were talking about. Could we play, Tim, um, clip one? Thanks. So, this is a list of um, jobs at the moment that have vacancies. Do you think it's going to be better if it's you making the call? Would you like me on speakerphone on, on backup, just in case? I think I want to do it on my own. Yep. And see what babes Yep, yep. OK. <laughs> Good afternoon, Medical Centre. Sarah speaking. Can I help you? My name is Eric. How are you? Hello. Hello. My name is Eric. Eric? Yes. And how can I help you, Eric? I completed my surgery in medical admin. When can we fit you in? No, no. Which doctor? No. I'm wondering if Betty... I don't understand. What's your name? Eric? And, and what's your surname? Can I put it on to my support worker? You want to talk to your support worker? Um, hello, it's Donna Morley um, calling from Breakthrough. I'm just here with Eric Barrett. What's his surname? He's not a he's not a patient of your medical centre. Ah. Yeah, no, he's just ringing up to find out about possible job opportunities or how he would go about applying for a job. Ah, oh, I see what you mean. No, sorry, not at this stage. There's nothing at this stage. No, no, not that I know of. Thank you. Sorry about that. Thank you. Oh, it's kind of still excruciating to watch that, Eric. What a great character Eric uh, is. Um, tell us about that what, uh, and what's happened as a result of the show because Eric's journey was beautiful, right? Yeah, and he has cerebral palsy, which is not an intellectual disability. And you watch that and you think about how it must feel to be locked up and not be understood. And I think that to transporting the audience through that experience of what it's like with him and his family and what he's trying. And the good news for Eric is that he's still in permanent employment with um, the Central Coast um, Health Service, who gave him a job. And we charted his journey through the interview process. You know, he'd done all of his TAFE qualifications in order to get an administrative job, and he's still in that position today. So. It's a, that's, that's a great, great story. That's a great story. And it is fair to say that without the show, that's unlikely to have happened. Yeah, right? and, that, and, and that was hard because, you know, there's so many other people, but hopefully the people who were in Series 1 and 2 really advocated and became spokespeople and started working for people like Salvation Army and for Family and Community Services, and they speak at conferences, and we're constantly managing their schedules now because they're being asked to speak out, uh, and they have become pin-ups for their community, which, you know, they've all done with pride because they know what a struggle it was for them. So uh, of the last season, five of the nine are still in the jobs that they got at the end of the series, which I think is amazing. Uh, sadly, if anyone remembers the series, uh, Jake, who was the young man from um, Tweed Heads, he passed away about three weeks ago after an epilepsy attack, um, which was pretty sad for everybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we stay in contact and, and they're doing great work still. They are. And, and is there a little highlight of anybody else of, you know, what's happened to them that you can give us an update on? Because when the nation fell in love with those characters. Yeah, they did. And I mean, I, I have to wonder actually about um, uh, the, the, um, uh, oh, Kian, are you here? Um, the- There he is at the back there. Carnival Cruises and, and whether there would still be a job. <laughs> So Ryan was uh, one of the characters who went through all this psychometric testing in order to show that he could actually do an amazing job um, for Carnival Cruises, and they said he was in the top 2% of people ever tested, even though he was so incredibly shy and awkward, they gave him a job. But I wonder after <laughs> Corona whether he's going to still have a job. We hope so. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so you mentioned Kian O'Cleary, who directed both series of Employable Me, and then together you created the um, original Australian format, Love on the Spectrum, another breakout success on the ABC. Um, was it, how did you come up with that? How, tell us a bit about the genesis of that idea, and then we'll see a little clip of that too. I think that in uh, working with people who have disabilities, who talked about you know, wanting to, to find their meaning in life with jobs, so many of them also said, but even more so, I want a girlfriend, I want a boyfriend, I want, I want meaningful relationships in my life. And it, it just felt like something that, uh, you know, we talked about doing relationship shows for a while, but doing them in a way that was, uh, you know, television with purpose. And so uh, we worked with Screen Australia and started working up a Bible and did some proof of concept work. And, um, and that was 12 months before we finally got a green light at the ABC after the success of Employable Me and the, the fact that what we saw there on, on screen was Logie nominated, it won at New York, it went to the Rose Doors and people went, hey, we can, we're not gonna be afraid of this. We're not gonna be afraid of putting um, people with disabilities into mainstream television and, and we know that if it's done in a way that's um, you know tasteful and brought the great tone, then you know that's when we were lucky enough to get love on the spectrum up. Yeah, and uh, anyone remembers Employable Me? That's that's dating scene with Ryan and Christina, wasn't it? That was the kind of like the glimpse of what love love on the spectrum could be. And um, let's have a little clip about Love on the Spectrum, which was a fantastic show last year, four-part series, every episode rated higher than the previous episode. So it built, which, as most of you will know, is not usual. Uh, often people feel they watch the first episode and the, and the numbers tail off. But this, at the end of the year, in not a brilliant time of year for a show to go out, just built through sheer word of mouth and just because it was just such a wonderful feel-good uh, series. So let's have a quick uh, clip number two for Love on the Spectrum. Thanks. I'm an actor. I perform with a theatre company called Options Theatre Company. I would ask for uh, contact details, but it's a bit too far for me. It's okay. You would not be allowed in anyway. It's a, dis it's a disability theatre company. Don't know whether to take that as an insult or not. What is your disability? Because I'm not seeing one. No offence. What does autism look like to you? Point taken. You should take your foot out of your mouth, sir. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know I had a foot in my mouth. Thank you very much. It is when you say you can't see a disability because not all disabilities are visible. And just like that, I just got proved how blind I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I normally don't disclose my autism straight away to people I meet. I really don't know how to properly describe myself other than just Asperger's syndrome. Uh, it is autism. I don't know, some people say it's dyslexic, other people say autism. At this point, I just want to say, I'm a madman. Let's just go with that. My diagnosis is Asperger's. Hmm. <laughs> but because Asperger's, the term doesn't exist anymore, we're all autism spectrum disorder. <coughs> you okay? I choke on everything. <coughs> I'm not even sure why, I just do. Ah, great. Um, so, Karina, just tell us about that clip, but not all disabilities are visible. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think Olivia has a really interesting way of explaining her, her own experience in the world and the fact that the guy that she's on the date with also has Asperger's, but they kind of, they're all exploring together their own personal experience of having a disability. And I think that that is, is unique because we're so quick to kind of come in with an expert commentary over the top. And that was one of the things we wanted to do with both of these shows and probably even more so Love on the Spectrum was let the people speak for themselves. Let them talk about their own experiences because you can't imagine what it is to like walk in somebody else's shoes. So let them speak for themselves. Yeah, and that, that seemed to be the feedback we got from the participants when we had screenings. They were just like, we're finally being able to speak for ourselves. There's no host, there's minimal narration. Mm -hmm. they, and they really appreciated that. And you could feel them having own, ownership and agency of their own stories, um, which is similar to Old People's Home, I would say, for four-year-olds, four Deb. So um, let's move on to that. Huge ratings juggernaut for the ABC and just another beautiful show that really resonated and social media went bananas. Um, tell us about why 
from your inside perspective, that show worked so well? Well, there's a, f a few things, I think. Um, firstly, it's very relatable because everyone either has a grandparent or has had one uh, or is a grandparent. Um, so I think, and we're all going to get old one day. Well, hopefully, if not, we're going to be dead. So, so, I, so it has broad appeal from that respect, I think. Then I guess you, I think you, you pick two vulnerable groups, like the four-year-olds and the old people, and people are invested. They're following them. They're barracking for them. So there's an interest there in seeing that this journey works for them. And then the other thing was the casting. It was so important to find the right mix of characters that the audience would engage with, that the interaction between the characters would provide entertainment, um, that there'd be drama. So I think we worked really closely with the ABC in getting that right cast that would really engage with an audience. Um, and then I think it just it just tapped into all those different emotions. It, it tapped into the heartache of seeing old people. Um, and it tapped into loneliness, which is a big social epidemic. Uh, that's something that so many people can relate to. There's some, you know, nearly everyone has someone in their life that they could say is lonely. Um, so it tapped into the into the bigger picture of what it's like to be an old person. And then I think the the seeing those relationships develop between the children and the adults, and seeing each week how those evolved, and seeing the resistance, you know, from some of them early on. I mean, you know, you've got to you've like. The biggest worry for us that was going to be a whole series of just a whole lot of you know preschool activities just strung together. So the the challenge was finding a narrative and making sure that every character had a narrative arc throughout the series. But then in each episode, focusing on two characters that you followed their story. And in that episode, there was a beginning, a middle, and an end. So that as a viewer, you were coming back each week to see, you know, Grace, who thought that children were scared of her because of her face, to see if next week she would be able to engage with the children. So it was bringing those characters to life in each episode and following their thread each each episode to the next so that you really if you pulled out each each character you could actually plot out what their journey of the series was and what the outcome was so i think that was really important but also the the potential for to see success and to see positive outcomes i think there's so much negativity on tv particularly in some of the big shows where people are just there to become famous um, the potential to see change and in a positive way i think was also really key the other thing was that I think um, that it was beautifully shot. Uh, we were in a beautiful part of, of Sydney, so it was an old people's home that looked beautiful, so we had lovely aerial shots. But just also the colour, like there's subliminal things for a viewer, but there's lots of colour because you're in a preschool room, the kids were colourful, so just, and the colourful activity. So I think that also has a subliminal effect on people that makes it really great to watch. But also I think that people could laugh and could cry. And, and could really relate. So, and also, I think, you know, bigger picture is the, um, the aged care, you know, the Royal Commission into Aged Care had put aged care in the spotlight before the series came out. So I do think that also had a part to play in it. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's right. And I love the way it had, um, you know, it was based on some really solid science around intergenerational connection, wasn't it? Absolutely, yes. The Griffith University had done a lot of research into it and Sue Curl, who was our head geriatrician, had written papers. So there was already there was already some science there to say that this had the potential to work. But we really didn't know, you know, if putting these people to, together for seven weeks was going to play out because, you know, the old people were, oh, well, I'm meant to go to bridge today. And, oh, sorry, you can't go to bridge today. You've got to come to preschool. Um, and, it, re it, you know, it really was a challenge. And we... Yes, we were confident that we'd get a series, but were we confident that the outcomes were as positive as they were? We weren't. No, definitely not. And that Griffith University study, that was, that was by sheer luck and good timing that they were doing that research alongside yes. um, as the series was being made, and they released it at the same time as the series came out, which was on intergenerational care. Yeah. Uh, just a quick show of hands. How many people did watch Old People's Home for four-year-olds here? Wow, look at that, everybody, ABC viewers. Um, let's show a clip. Do you want to just talk about this particular clip? You want, you want to set this one up? Um, yeah, just quickly. So this, this clip happened, we, we filmed for seven weeks. This clip happened, this little scene happened in the very first week. There's a little boy called, called Tyrone or Taiwan who was the shyest in the group. And then there was an, one of our older adults, Brian, who was a really grumpy old bloke who just sat back and didn't get involved. And this, I think, was probably on day four 
of our first week of filming. So I'll let you watch and see what happens. Okay, can we play the old people's home clip, Tim? I can't do what I, I used to do. And uh, things that I would like to do, I can't do. I mean, I still wake up at night thinking about gardening and things that need to be done in certain gardens and I'd like to be able to still do those. I just haven't got the, the physical power or um, strength to do what I used to do. Garden. Yeah. What colour have you got? with his vision that he keeps talking about. When it's just him and Tyrone and they're working on the one task, you can see that he's still able to, to see well enough to help out and he's following what's happening. Yeah, he actually can participate more than he thinks. He can. Good, well done. Yeah, we screw that up. <laughs> sort of engagement with an adult to adult, but you don't get that kind of smile that we just saw before, would you? It's very good, isn't it? Beautiful. Look at that, Deb. No, you're still, crying. Still crying. We're all, uh, it brings tears to even the hardest cynical part, Craig, even you. Um, beautiful show, Deb. And um, just tell us what those experts that are watching, like they're kind of, you know, you rigged up the, the place and had the experts. Who were those experts and what did they offer the show, do you think? Mm, I hadn't ever thought about that until now. Um, a few people like, sort of asked. Well, they gave, they gave what we were doing context. They gave the rigour around the science. It wasn't just us throwing a whole lot of kids and old people in a room and, and seeing what happened. They, and, and they were assessing, you know, the progress of them all along the way. They tested the adults before and again at the end. So they were pro showing the progression as we went, really. It was, it was really showing the science of the experiment. Yeah. 
Um, so this is a good example of what you took, Terry, uh, at the ABC, the show, which was a brilliantly made show that really worked, and then sort of expanded uh, the impact of the show um, with a kind of what you what was called ageless friendships. So since War since War and Waste series one, uh, the ABC's been um, doing impact campaigns uh, alongside some of the big factual shows like Don't Stop the Music, both seasons of War and Waste, Old People's Home, and then the new shows that we'll be talking about in a minute. Um, tell us what uh, what does an impact campaign at the ABC look like how, and how, maybe how does it work for producers to some extent? Um, well, I can t I'll talk to you a little bit about Old People's Home for four-year-olds. So as I was saying earlier, you know, we want to engage people beyond um, the broadcast once they've seen this brilliant show. So with Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, we partnered with um, Playgroup Australia, who had an initiative called um, Ageless Play, which um, you could... So we, we had this call to action at the end of the show that said, if you have young children and you want them to connect with older Australians, go to agelessplay.com.au. And if you go to the website, um, you can connect um, as an individual or an organisation and join an existing intergenerational playgroup that's in an aged care home. So if you're a mum with kids and you want to take them along to a playgroup um, and get involved. And I know they had over 5,000 sign-ups. They started... It took them... Um, took them five years to build 40 groups and five months after the show, there's around 90, 90 groups um, and all of the original groups were at capacity. So I think that's a really great example of some you know, real world impact straight off the bat. But the other thing that we would do internally at the ABC is partner with other parts of the organisation and say, okay, so who needs to see this in order for the change to occur and what sort of resources and tools do we need to put around this? So we had briefing events which we um, partnered with um, our marketing department and our um, and ABC News, and we invited um, people from the early uh, early learning sector and from the aged care sector and experts that were working in this space um, and talked to them about the show and the campaign. Um, and then News ran sort of some small workshops and said, okay, so what are the stories that we should be telling that you're not already seeing through News? And they generated some excellent story ideas from that workshop and we really engaged that what we call impact community to then keep in contact with them and say look here's this show this is the work that you're you're doing this is a chance to put a spotlight on it and we can turbo boost it so we'll give you some resources and tools to really connect with your communities of interest in this area um, and then we also um, worked with ABC Education to create some resources for teachers that um, supported teachers to um, inspire their inspire intergenerational connections and initiatives in schools. Um, and we also worked with ABC Life to create a short five-part um, series that screened on iView and connected to the to the bigger series um, and on social media that looked at other intergenerational initiatives in the community that were already happening to inspire people to get involved or just think about other intergenerational initiatives in the community. Um, I've got a clip yes, that maybe you we do, could play. Terry. Uh, so yeah, I think we could. One of those episodes. Absolutely. I mean, and do you want to just tell us what this clip is? Because this wasn't a broadcast clip, was it? This was a clip that was made alongside the show for social, for iview, uh, is, and got huge numbers, right? Yeah, well, the whole series um, just on Facebook has had 12 million views. This, this one's had, I think, 2 million. Um, and it's um, around an initiative called Out and About that connects um, older and younger uh, people from LGBTI communities together in um, friendship. And so this is this is and the stories are, are told through the relationships that are formed from these various community initiatives that we looked at. So this is just, just this is just the beginning, the first minute and a half. So most of the episodes were around six minutes, but we'll show Hayden and Clinton. Can we play the 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 impact? You've done drag before, Clinton. Oh yes, when I was much younger. No, and all the all the other guys were. <gasps> <laughs> Yeah, not like today. You can throw a rock and you've hit a drag queen these days. <laughs> Finding out more about Clinton's story makes you really go, wow, like, people who are older, like, have a lot of stories to tell, and if you just ask, they'll probably have you on the edge of your seat, yeah. And so I would finish work at five o'clock, 
and then go back to my flat and then get changed. And then get dressed up in drag and have a night out. Yeah, yeah. God, I just go home and make dinner. <laughs> I have always felt as if I wasn't getting old. And after being told by the doctor that oh, I've got the beginnings of dementia, I, f I felt that I was 76. I was going to be dead shortly, so that was that. When I was looking to do a volunteer program, I was definitely looking for just some sort of fulfilling connection with somebody who was um, older and part of the queer community. And meeting Hayden, just wonderful. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm fine. Yeah. I don't think I'm cogiting now, am I? <laughs> Not all the time. No. <laughs> yeah, great, great story, just showing that it's about the same theme about, you know, connecting different generations, but, um, you know, not necessarily kids and grandparents. So that, so that two million views, was it that, 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 that particular, particular story? Clip. Yeah, again, so that sort of fits under our sort of broader impact vision, which was about supporting intergenerational relationships to create better health outcomes and, you know, reduce ageism. And, and yeah, those, those shorter clips had a huge impact. I mean, I know Out and About, that program was inundated with volunteers um, since that clip has gone out yeah, and also great. those organizations can can use those um, you know in their own work they're short and easy you know easy to use um, as advocacy tools I so guess. you give those you give those videos as assets to organizations to use where and when they want can well they? they're, they're distributed on social and they're also on iview and YouTube so they can you know Share them. Share them and use them. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, just jumping in there, like the social clips, it's, they're measurable, but there's, you know, we had a parliamentary screening, which was attended by lots of, you know, lots of politicians. It's hard to measure if that had any success, but we do wonder if um, Anthony Albanese's recent policy speech where he talked about intergenerational play um, being part of the solution to our ageing population, we think it's um, got something to do with that. So well, his advice is there, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. you know, that was just such a great opportunity. We, um, we screened one of the short clips and we screened the third episode that showed Sorry, not the third episode. The, the, yeah, fi the final episode. The final episode fifth showing ep all the, the results. Fifth episode, fifth right? episode. That's yep. right. The fifth episode, um, which showed really the impact on the residents. And I think it was hugely successful. We had key experts as well that from Griffith University and Older Persons Advocacy Network. Shirley from the show was there. She escorted the aged care minister into the screening. And I swear, that the ministers never stay for the screenings, but he stayed for the whole screening. There was no way that he was going to leave with Shirley there. <laughs> the show. <laughs> yeah, so, he, you know, we, we don't think Anthony Albanese possibly may have watched it at home, but we do think the parliamentary screening might have triggered him to have a look at it. I'm sure it did. Yeah, so I, I don't think you should ever underestimate, the, you know, the impact, the addition of impact, because it, it also starts a conversation in the community, brings people, more viewers to the show, and you can't really measure that. Yeah, and I guess that's also about going, who really needs to see your film in order for change to occur? And yes, you've got your broad audience, but we really thought about the different audience segments and, you know, having that parliamentary screening was an opportunity to get those decision makers in the room to have a conversation with those experts, to go, well, this this is one potential solution. What, what does intergenerational um, care and intergenerational initiatives offer in the aged care sector? Absolutely. Um, Craig, I'm just going to bring you in there about the, the mention of politics and Anthony Albanese seeing it. Uh, it's a delicate dance at times, isn't it, that you have spent a few years doing, um, trying to create some kind of political impact with your work and change. Like, maybe you could relate to what you saw as the main impact from War on Waste. What's interesting, uh, I came to the war on waste with, I think, the wrong perspective on how things worked. I had a kind of perspective of we'll hassle the politicians or we'll put pressure on the politicians and the change will come through them. And obviously, a lot of big part of the show was about what you can do yourself and all that kind of stuff. Now, in actual fact, and I've had a couple of politicians say this to me, um, they've said, we don't lead, we follow. And what actually happened is that only once people themselves became 
engaged and started doing things. And it kind of that, once it became a groundswell of interest within the community, that's when you started to see change. And, and the political change is really interesting how much slower it is. But we've seen like, we, you know, there was a plastic summit at Parliament House in Canberra this Monday and Scott Morrison's actually been quite <clears throat> forward in talking about plastics and all this kind of stuff and changing and solving that. And that's not just war and waste. I mean, uh, Four Corners had a massive role and the scandals going on with China and that kind of stuff. But it has just been, it was really interesting to kind of see the way in which the community becoming impassioned themselves about it and becoming pushing in that. And it, like, like even, not just politics actually, interesting on business as well. Like before the show went to air, we had, I had meetings with people from supermarkets and they were like, there is no way we will change their plastic bag rule without it becoming legislation. Unless we're told to do it, there's no way we're going to do it. And then about a month or so after the show went to air, they did it themselves. Because of, not because of art, but because that pressure kind of started coming from their consumers. And it was just really interesting to see that kind of, our oh, power is bottom up sometimes. Not necessarily yeah. just the top. So yeah, that's yeah, kind of, parliamentary screenings are important, but you're also getting that community involved is very important to actually activating change. Absolutely. I don't think we did a parliamentary screening of War and Waste, did we? Uh, no, because I'm not necessarily loved by politicians. I mean, it is the case that, like, there are, there are creative decisions made that if you are only campaigning, like, I'm not a campaigner, right? I'm not a political, I'm not campaigning for something. Like, if I was a campaigner, I wouldn't chase a politician down the road with a giant ball of plastic bags. I do that because it's entertaining and it makes the show better and engage and gets kids involved and does all that kind of stuff. Probably makes it less likely they're going to change necessarily because they're like, fuck that Craig guy. We're not going to look, make it look like we listen to him because he chased me with a giant plastic ball. So there's a balance. You know, you've got to remember, like, I'm not a campaigner necessarily. Like, you've got to go, I'm, an, no, you're I'm doing making it. a piece of to crave television. Yeah, you're doing it to make great television, which yeah. then gets the groundswell yeah. at the bottom-up thing, as you're talking about. So, uh, but, I mean, politically, no one, want, no one wanted more plastic in the oceans. Like, there's no politician that was actually arguing that we should, you know, no, have more but it's, landfill. It's interesting how much it's motivated things. And, and, um, and, and Scott Morrison, they've actually been really active in getting into the waste spaces, and, and we've seen changes recently in Victoria. And one of the reasons, actually that I wanted to do climate now was that I felt like it was becoming like, you know, Scott Morrison went to the United Nations to do, talk about climate and talked about plastic. And you're like, that's not, that's not the same thing, mate. You know, you, that's a different issue. It's great you're doing this, but, you know, you don't do this as well. So it's kind of like got to the point where you're like, oh, this is becoming too much of taking over some other issues as well. I mean, that's why I want to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good segue, Craig. We are going to go on now to talk about how the new shows on the ABC. Just very briefly, we have got three big TV content uh, series coming to the ABC in 2020 that all in some way tackle climate change and the climate emergency. Uh, just briefly one line on each of them. There's Fight for Planet A, our climate challenge made by Loon Media, um, who have made War on Waste, which is about how do we get our carbon emissions under control. So essentially the kind of causes of climate change. We have Big Weather and How to Survive It, which is produced by DMA Creative in Queensland as a co-production with Northern Pictures. And that's about um, you know, the symptoms, if you like, of climate change, like the extreme weather events, uh, you know, however well we do with our carbon emissions, in the meantime, we've got the baked in change happening and we need to actually know how to survive and thrive what will only be more frequent and more ferocious um, weather events happening as we've all been all too aware recently. So, and then we have a beautiful natural history show, Australia's Ocean Odyssey, which is about the East Australian current made famous in Finding Nemo. Uh, it's a beautiful marine-themed natural history show with a climate undercurrent because species are moving towards the poles, trying to find cooler water at a rate 10 times faster than they are on land. So it's a really big story there too. So they're the three big content shows. Craig is hosting uh, Fight for Planet A and Big Weather. So let's talk a bit about that. It is a much more... Um, difficult subject than plastic and then waste. You really, yeah. are, it, uh, why has climate become so political and what are you doing to make sure that the show cuts through before we see a, a, a clip? <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope it does. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, after doing War and Waste, lots of people would approach me on the street and go, you know, you should do a War and Waste about climate. And 
we was certainly an idea that you know has been kicking around for a long time. It's a lot harder though, and we took a long time to really get to it because the thing about waste is it's extremely tangible. It's in people's life right in front of them. The thing about climate change is that despite all the talk about it, despite the fact it's been so aware for so many years, there's so much confusion about it. It's, you know, how do you communicate emissions and how do you link that to people and how do you make them feel like it actually matters? And that's what we spent a lot of time trying to do is to make it kind of feel like this is a tangible thing, you have a role in it, you can play this part, this is what we need to do to actually respond to it. Uh, whether we've achieved that is another question. We'll find that out in a few months' time. Uh, yeah, but it was a really, it was really challenging and I think even where I think we probably thought we'd pitch the show initially, we kind of brought it down even further because we suddenly realised, wow, just just kind of making people to be aware of their own carbon footprint or the, the how it works and all that kind of stuff was what we wanted to do because but, we, we but, had a lot of people who were just kind of really confused by it. What, what do you mean confused? What do you mean by bring the show down? Do you mean just, like make it broader? I and just mean make it more simple. Like, you know, when you actually get... It's fascinating, and um, I was doing interviews for Australia Talks earlier on in the year, and you know the statistics of that showed that over 80% of people in Australia believe that climate change is real and we should do about it. When you have conversations, even with interviewing people for that show, you have conversations with people like, oh yeah, climate change is real, this kind of stuff, but you kind of get two minutes into the conversation and you realise that they actually don't think that humans create that climate change, or they don't think that they could have any role in it. And they don't, just don't even understand where emissions come from. They'll, like this polling showing that people in Australia post-war and waste were being asked, what are you doing to stop climate change? And they're like, well, I take my own reusable bags to Coles, which is a great thing. That's having an effect on plastic pollution that it's got pretty much stuff all to do with climate change at all. So that kind of level of mi misunderstanding. So it's like, how do you kind of basically take people through really simply and get them so they understand where it's coming from, what its impact is, how we're involved, what you can do about it, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we see a little clip of uh, Fight for Planet A so that people can get a sense of what you're trying to do and then we can talk about what you've learnt from making War on Waste with Jody and Leonie and, and David Galloway who are here today and you can explain how some of those, some of that experience from War on Waste is we're now trying to bring the audience along to uh, fight for planet A. Can we show the, it's the super, this is the super tease, uh, the, the pre-title of fight for planet A that no one outside the ABC has seen yet, I think. So it's really exciting. Can we play the fight for planet A clip? We are up against the biggest challenge the planet has faced in recorded history. The hottest year ever. As the world warms, an era of disasters is upon us. And the world leaders are playing Russian roulette with a full loaded gun. In Australia, we're already facing more intense cyclones and torrential flooding, and drought has wreaked havoc for thousands of Australians in regional and rural communities. This is one of our largest dams. Oh, God, it's like rock. All the small businesses in town, so many are shutting down now. There's no water, there's no business. I had dreams. My husband had dreams. We don't dream anymore. The human and environmental cost of these disasters has been enormous. Australia is already facing some of the most extreme manifestations of climate change. In the time of making this documentary, fires are burning out of control. I've got a home to go to. Other people don't. Across the globe, people have turned out en masse to call for change. Your government is ignoring the climate emergency. We need to wake up. We are in a bad state. Enough is enough. Australia, it's time to think about our carbon footprint. This is no longer an argument about science, but a case for saving the planet. Are you with me, guys? In this series, we'll meet those who raised the alarm decades ago. By the early 1980s, I knew. Listen to those who'll inherit this problem. <laughs> I'm terrified. I challenge billion-dollar businesses to do better. We've got 20 million trees for Chevron. There's 20 million. Can you give us a hand with them? And hold our government leaders accountable. Definitely be talking to the Prime Minister about this. <laughs> God! Why is he trying to run away then? I'll show you what households can do to reduce our carbon footprint. Who's ready for a climate challenge? Yeah! 
by experimenting with our diet, our energy habits and how we get around. That is crazy! To find out if together we can make a real difference. And I meet some inspirational Aussies. One of the waste products is ultimately methane. They'll let one rip. Who are working towards solutions for the future of our planet. So can I eat a carbon neutral bit of steak yet? If you buy it off us, you definitely <laughs> can. We know our climate is changing, but when faced with such a big challenge, so many of us think, what can I do about it? Together, we're gonna to look at the way we fly, we drive, the things we eat, the energy we use, and see if the changes we can make can actually add up to a big difference. But individuals alone can't solve the climate crisis. So I'm gonna challenge our leaders in government and business to step up and actually help us to turn this ship around before it's too late. There is no planet B. That's why together we have to fight to save planet A. So join me as we embark on this climate challenge. As you can see from that, there also won't be a parliamentary screening of this. <laughs> that was ScoMo, right? Was, yeah, ScoMo. ScoMo. Scotty uh, from marketing, not, doing a runner. Was not keen to talk to me. No. To say that. Why, Greg? I don't understand why. I'm a lovely guy when you get to know me. Um, so I think what is clear there is that you are trying to, the show is trying to um, help people have real genuine ideas, tips, tools in which they can get their own carbon emission or their carbon footprint under control within their own households. And we have the, you see the families, there's five families that all go on their own kind of carbon reduction, carbon emission reduction journey. But you, you've also tried to balance the, uh, what people can do at, at a bigger level as well. So tell us about the balance between the individual responsibility yeah. and, the, and the industry and And, and this is the change. thing is that we wanted to look at what you can do yourself because there is a there's a feeling of frustration from people when you look at Australian political situation because you go we've known about this for so long you get these moments where you get a kind of uprising of interest you've shown these polls showing that most people want something to be done on this but for various reasons it hasn't really cut through in a political way so there's a frustration there and we want to also feel to realize it's not you can do more than just that that one vote as well and we also think that getting people engaged in it and understanding it more will also probably have more of an effect on that also voting side of things necessarily that people are engaging with it so yeah, we, we looked at the family. It was interesting hearing Deb talk earlier about you going, we didn't know what was going to happen over the seven weeks. And that was one of the things with this is that we had these five households and we, we're not saying that, you know, just personally we can all solve climate change, but we wanted to see the extent to which there could be an impact there. And we didn't know, like we really didn't know. We, it was incredibly hard to do things. We had things we thought we'd be able to do with them that got pushed back against and some things worked and some didn't. And, you know, and it was a bloody kind of really horrible, horrible kind of ride. We literally didn't know until kind of a couple of days before and we finally were trying to get all the numbers together and, that, and what kind of impact it had been. So, you know, it was a risk involved in doing that, but we wanted to really show that and kind of see what kind of impact could be made then. I won't give it away, but it's good. Uh, but there's a story either way, right? I, d I mean, what do you mean by a horrible yeah, exactly. ride? Because if, if there isn't, uh, there yeah. wasn't enough of it, in, but then that's a story. The story, yeah, that puts more pressure back on the politicians and that kind of thing, but, and, and businesses. But, but, you know, we're not suggesting you can do it yourself, but it's, not, it's an interesting thing because you think about it. This is the logic that we use in Australia. We, all get, we get angry at a, at a government because the government says we're only 1.3% of emissions. We can't, we're so small we can't do anything right. But so often people that have that opinion about, are really angered by the government having that opinion, are themselves say, well, I'm so small, it doesn't really matter what I do. It's a similar thing. And it's really about recognising that it's, climate change requires action from everyone. <laughs> That's the only way we're going to deal with this problem. And it really needs to be everyone engaging with it and getting into it that's going to actually be And telling changed. the story through, I'm assuming from the trailer, through the five families is what's going to make it relatable to every household. Exactly, yeah. And that's also where you can kind of understand it as well. Yeah, it's you know. bringing it back, how's it relatable, yeah. rather than preachy. Rather than preachy, yeah. yeah. And again, and again yeah. it's hard. It's interesting yeah. how uh, one of the topics is food. Now, we had a lot of discussions. <laughs> Look at Jody here. Because um, we know that people 
really switch off and get really angry if you tell them not to eat meat, you know. We were, kind of, we were like, how do we engage this? And in the end, we kind of went, look, we're just going to take people through all of the facts. And we're not going to tell them what to do otherwise. We're going to take them through all the facts. And it's really interesting if you look at the difference between different meats and, you know, this kind of stuff. And we're going to let people engage with that. And, you know, we can't not tell that part of the story. It's a massive part of your personal footprint. In some cases, some of the households, the food was the biggest part of their carbon footprint. So you go, well, look, we're just going to have to engage with it honestly. And the, I mean, the idea is that people can do, people choose the, the option and the lifestyle change that. Appeal, that that works do, for yeah. them. And the, yeah, exactly. uh, the whole five households have different kind of priorities of what they can or can't. You might not be able to stop using your car because you're dropping off three kids in the morning or whatever it is. So it, it, it's trying to find something for everybody. There's something that everybody can do. Uh, Terry, the, there is going to be a significant, let's, let's say, a impact campaign alongside Fight for Planet A, isn't there? Tell us a bit about that. Yes. Well, as you know, so we also, these, these projects, um, Fight for Planet A and Big Weather, have been deemed what they call it the ABC, a pan-ABC tier A content collaboration, which basically means that the whole of the broadcaster gets behind it. So um, we'll have everybody involved um, and we'll be engaging, you know, a broad impact community to engage in action and have specific calls to actions for audiences to get involved, not just as individuals, but to come together and, in, and take community action in their own communities. Absolutely. And it's... Um uh, and it's going to be a collaboration with the production company, with um, NGOs and organisations who are working in the space. And I think one of the things to stress is it's a collective effort. And I think that's something that I think comes through in the show as well, that it's actually all of us and every sector working together at individual household, community, state, federal, at every level. It's going to take every bit of skill and resource that we have, which brings me to onto Big Weather, Karina, that you're currently producing. It's in the middle of the shoot, so we haven't been in the edit suite yet, so we can't show you anything, but it is a, a show that is um, also about community and connectedness, and you know, tell us about how you've actually adapted to what we've seen this summer with these incredible, devastating fires. And how important that show is as a result. Well, very important. And I think um, it was two years in development with DMA who came to the ABC with the idea of making a film about emergency services over summer. And when the green light um, was pressed back in July, there was a sense that this was going to be a summer we'd all remember. We just didn't necessarily realise just how great that was going to be. Um, so, Craig, is you've got another month worth of shooting as we wrap up towards the end of the summer. We're still waiting out for our cyclones. Uh, if we don't get them, we've still got lots of content, amazingly. Uh, and, and the edit will start. And then, obviously, there's a very big conversation the ABC is having with its audiences because of um, Fight for Planet A. And I believe uh, the way that the ABC is, is managing things in amongst all of its other news, current affairs, um, science, programming, radio, et cetera, there will be a conversation which Big Weather will pick up on by the time it is broadcast in third quarter um, in the lead up to the next summer of 2021. Um, and hopefully what we have learnt from this summer is how to be better prepared, how to come together as communities, how to support one another, um, all of those things because we sure as hell know the climate is changing and so how can we better approach this from all of those levels, community, politics, individuals, families, schools, etc. Um, so that's where we're at. Yeah, it is um, a huge project and I think um, after what we've seen throughout the summer, it's sort of a, a shifting landscape now because so many people have a lived experience of what an extreme weather event is and the impact. I think I can't, there's a stat that, I don't know, 80% of people have, in some way, Australians have had their lives affected now by extreme weather events. So um, has, that ch has that changed your thinking and in what, what way is that? Uh, I think that when the process started, there was a question over, is this a series about extreme weather or is this a series about uh, weather in the age of climate change, and it's very much become mainstream to talk about this as weather in the age of climate change of what we're seeing. So, you know, the conversation has caught up with the science and um, public's on board, and they now want to know where we're headed. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, my, my um, sort of experience is that the appetite for these two shows is huge out there. I, I mean, is, have, has anyone on the panel seen any content like that that has worked, as in what can we all do to actually tackle or be part of the climate, solving the climate emergency? Not, not much. That's the interesting thing is it's um, the general discussion is about, you know, voting and protesting that kind of thing, which is a massively important thing. I'm not playing it down, uh, but it is interesting. And it, that's right. Uh, the, yeah, it's interesting because big weather is different. Like, it's interesting. They're both talking about climate and that kind of stuff, but they're very different. You know, the reality is, is even if we bring our emissions down really quickly, we've kind of, we've already baked in a certain amount of climate change that's going to be happening and we're starting to really feel that and see that now and so communities are going to have to deal with you know more fires you know harsher cyclones these kind of things are going to be there even if we turn around straight away but it's also about that can get even far worse as well so it's talking a lot about what do communities do how do you prepare for it what are things that make a, a, a town or a community respond better to something all that kind of stuff so unfortunately we're going to have to be dealing with that while we're also trying to stop the problem as well and how how do you make it so that it's not depressing how do i make it so it's not depressing yeah it's an interesting it, look it's, it it's a fascinating it's yeah. a really interesting thing because it's a, and I. It, it's hard this, these shows because essentially, you're a broadcast, right? So in actual fact, a lot of climate communication is easy, more easily done if you're doing it on a narrow cast. If you like, farmers talking to farmers, somebody talking to you know city people. You know, it's all those kind of things. You can. It's, it's slightly different because if you show like the effect of climate change, you say this is going to happen. You get some people that kind of freak out and actually kind of, oh my God, this is so crazy, we've got to do something now. You get other people whose psychological response to it is to go, oh, this is so big, I can't do anything about it, and it's shut down. So it's finding that, yeah. Giving solutions. Giving solutions by focusing a lot more on solutions than that and by showing, the reality is it's not, like this is not a scientific debate. We talk about technology when the government talks about we need technology to solve it. The technology is there now to solve it. It is a political, social, and economic problem, and that's where the solutions have to come from. So, um, yeah, it's. I think just showing people that it can, that can be change happens. It yeah. makes the positive side. But yep. the irony is, is you've still got to kind of go. Look, this is the alternative, the negative <laughs> we're yeah. facing. Otherwise, I, I was talking to Damon Gamo, who directed 2040 uh, yesterday, and he was like. Um, touring the film around Europe, and he was saying that, that that he was really concerned with the doom porn out there. Like, why are you bothering? It's look at you know, like there isn't this kind of hopeful, optimistic. You know, these are the solutions that his film does, and that um, that I think Fight for Planet A does. It's actually a galvanising um, show that actually brings us all together. Now, I am aware that we're very close to running out of time. The clock has not been working, so I'm having to measure it on my watch. And this isn't really working either. But I, there's a couple of questions. So if you have a question, put your hand up. We get a ro roving mic to you. We have about five minutes left for questions. There's a question down the front here. Can we get a mic down here? Or you can shout if you've got a big voice. Oh, yeah, I can oh, I can hear you. Thank you. Um, I, I think that when it comes to disability services, especially with autism, there's lots of services for young people who are at school age and then we kind of abandon them as they grow up and, um, you know, that is some, that's something that needs to be redressed. There's a lot of money that goes into research but not into social services and so uh, the people out there working in the sector, thank you for all the work you do. Yeah. Um, Put your hand up if you have a burning question. I'm going to put a question on behalf of all the um, producers and in, in the in the in the audience and who are here. If people want to make these kind of this kind of television, this is, I guess, perhaps best for Karina and Debbie, the two producers on the panel. How would you? What what advice would you give uh, to producers who actually want to make this kind of television? How do you start? I think you have to have a genuine passion and you genuinely have to care for your participants. 
and um, you have to be prepared to lean in and get involved emotionally to a degree. Um, because I think if you don't get involved emotionally, you can't show the emotion that's happening. You can't show their story and their journey if you don't allow yourself to get involved. And that's tough sometimes. I think also it's really important to understand what you're trying to change. And I know that mm. for the ABC, in terms of impact, if you can go to them and say, this is the measure, this is the thing that we can activate or change, and then if you can bring money, then you're doing a hell of a lot better than most of us. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, can, can this kind of television, is it easier to attract fun, extra funding opportunities for this kind of um, content? Um, I don't think it's easy to raise money for anything in television ever. Like, you spend 10 times more time trying to raise money for a show than you do making it, no matter how experienced you are. But what I would say is that um, there are departments within government who sometimes might come along for the ride. Um, the ABC obviously has really strict ed, ed polls in, in regards to working with philanthropy or any commercial services, but it's not necessarily impossible. So it's a conversation. If you can bring something to the table for them to look at, then it really helps. Yeah, there's a lot of funding out there through philanthropic means for impact campaigns. Sometimes I do get slightly frustrated and kind of go, um, we need to make the show first. It's like you've got $12 million for impact and $3 to make the show. So, uh, you know, but it's, there are definitely other other routes to kind of raising money because of that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I will. That's $12 million. $12 million for impact. That's, and $3 to make a show, that, it's a tight budget. Um, <laughs> I think even the ABC Spend can offer even the catering. ABC can offer a bit more than that. Um, I'm I, I'm going to wrap wrap it up. There's a question. Okay, let's question, take a quick question. Question for Debbie: The UK had a second season of Old People's Home. Are we looking forward to more in Australia? And how would you see it differing differing from season one? Um. Watch this space. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, watch this space, but most definitely uh, you wouldn't do exactly the same if there was to be a second series, but there's certainly that area hasn't been explored um, enough yet, so there's certainly potential there. No exclusives for TV no, tonight. No, no, no exclusives. <laughs> um, okay, thank you um, to the panel. I will wrap up by saying that the ABC really does uh, t take these... Um, projects very seriously. We're really passionate about them. We are open for business uh, for ideas around this. Not every idea or every documentary series or even every social purpose, if you want to call it that kind of show, will have or needs or should have an impact campaign. So they don't have to have an impact campaign. Uh, we've only got one. We do two a year, roughly, that have an impact campaign attached. But we really try to make those count. And it is a genuine collaboration between producers, audiences, the ABC and the sector. Um, so please watch out for the big shows coming up this year and would you please thank our fantastic panel. Thank you.